Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish and Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Burchard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. In the late 1800s, a young lieutenant in the United States Army was asked to lead a meeting at a church, which he reluctantly agreed to do. As he later put it, he plunged in, trusting in providence that the assembly would behave itself. Whether or not providence was present that day, the assembly definitely did not behave themselves. And in a way that no one predicted, church and civic meetings have never been the same. Because the facilitator of the meeting that day was none other than Henry Martin Roberts. Roberts, as in Roberts' rule of order. (laughs) Now, meetings in uh, churches were not unfamiliar to Lieutenant Roberts. He was a PK, a pastor's kid, actually. And uh, his father was an abolitionist Baptist pastor. But after the meeting uh, that went so horribly wrong, he began to research different ways to lead large meetings and found that there were few resources that were written for churches and civic groups. So he wrote one and called it Robert's Rules for Order. It was intended uh, to be short and simple as a way to keep order without letting one person dominate. And he made sure that 1,000 of the first 4,000 printed copies were given to churches to use. (laughs) So now, fast forward 150 years later, And I'm reminded of the image that has been attributed to both the Buddha and to St. Francis, that of a teacher who is pointing to the moon to show their students, and all their students are paying attention to is their finger. I say that because these rules for order, a resource whose very purpose was to be short and simple, now totals over 700 pages. What Henry Martin Roberts tried to simplify so that any person could fruitfully lead a group process in and through conflict, well, we have found ways to make complex again. Over the years, Many of the times when I have become most distraught as a parent have been when my children have fought with each other. Uh, It's something that they are aware of. We've had this conversation before. It's not that I expect that they will always get along. I'm not naive to the reality of sibling annoyance and rivalry. It's more that when they can't resolve their disputes and the conflict gets more heated, 
without bringing any more light to the situation. And when it descends into like meanness or retribution, I feel like I've failed them as a parent. It's not just that I, uh, I don't want the people I love to be hurt, which is absolutely true. But I also want them to know that conflict does not need inevitably to lead to harm. And that there are practices in the Christian tradition, ways to live, a promise to trust that can actually lead to life. And the existence of Robert's rules for order and my own challenges with how to teach my children to work through conflict in a life-giving way, they both point to a fundamental struggle for all kinds of communities. The struggle is how to live together, how to keep community together, even when, especially when, conflict emerges. This is an essential practice for any group of humans, be it a family, a church, a community, a church, a, a wider church, a nation, a world. How to stay together when you disagree. Now, I also want to say that it's not conflict in and of itself that's the issue. Conflict happens. The question is, what will you do when it arises? Will you demean the other person when you disagree? Will you be able to leave room for them, for their pain, for their concern, for their possibilities? Will you push them out or leave them behind in order to win? At the end of the day, will you allow the other person to become your enemy? Our sacred texts today remind us of a couple of truths that we as Christians must hold on to, even as we disagree. One is a promise from Jesus, and two is a choice that is ever before us. It's no surprise that we have a teaching this morning about conflict in this particular gospel. Remember, the gospel, according to Matthew, is written at a time in the first century when the community of Christ followers was increasingly at odds with those who did not believe Him to be the Messiah. And it was a deeply divisive and painful time. It divided communities, it fractured families. So it is not surprising at all that this community would hold on to this teaching of Jesus about how to resolve conflict and also how Jesus would be present with them in it. You might be familiar with the first part of this teaching, that if you have a conflict with someone, that you go to them directly and talk with them about it. And if they are not able to hear you, you bring a, a trusted elder or two to talk about it with them. This has been a, a practice of this congregation for several years, and I've actually seen it heal many relationships from fracture. 
But this week, it was the last part of this teaching that caught my attention. The promise that Jesus will be in the midst of us, will be among us when we gather in His name. What does that mean? Several years ago on a vestry retreat, our facilitator reminded us that when Jesus makes this promise to be with us, it's not that He's going to be like over there hanging out in the corner of the room. It's that He will be in our hearts, within our very beings, and not just there for one of us, the one who is most right. Jesus promises to be present in all who make space for Him. In my experience, when I've been in a conflict and when I meet with the other person and both of us are willing to be open to Jesus being present, something shifts in how I approach that person and our conflict. Often my words change, the choices I make. They are less harsh, they are gentler. And my willingness to hear the other person opens. It's not that I no longer care about what brought me into that conflict, but more that I have the space to hear something new. How might the next conflict you're a part of change if you asked Jesus to be present with you? What would you say? What wouldn't you say? What might shift? The longer I've lived, the more conflict I've seen, the more conflict I've participated in, the more I've come to understand how conflict can be both catalytic for transformative change and how conflict can be destructive to people and to communities. Again, it's not a mistake that this teaching of Jesus was held onto and was passed down generation to generation because when conflict is held with love by both parties, it can lead to life. And we've seen this over and over again with the Christian experiment. Right? We see it, in, or we heard it today in Paul's articulation about what the fulfillment of the law is, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, all the way to the Good Friday Accords in Northern Ireland. When we are willing to hold on to one another, when we are willing to seek each other's welfare, when we seek reconciliation with and for each other, Jesus is here among us.
And I'm reminded that, uh, well, conflict is inevitable, friends. Love, however, is a choice.